1 Corinthians chapter 10. There's some tough stuff in 1 Corinthians, as you guys well know. We've covered some heavy stuff uh, in these first few weeks, and we got some more heavy stuff coming. Last week, we looked at just a few verses uh, where Paul was talking about uh, making a comparison, saying, look, uh, the Christian walk is kind of like kind of like running a race. That is, he was telling the people they needed to uh, to be able to run with endurance, to be able to, to run for a crown that was not going to fade, to not get too caught up in things of the world. And so uh, he kind of talked about that uh, last week a little bit. Uh, he talked about not being disqualified. And those were the, the last few verses of the end of chapter 9. And uh, this week we're kind of shifting gears a little bit as he's moving on to another topic. Uh, He's really warning in these verses that we're going to look at today, uh, he's really warning the people of some things to look out for by calling them to some situations that arose in Israel's past. Now, uh, Israel gave a lot of examples for the people of Corinth to go by as well as a lot of examples for you and I to go by. There were many things that the people of Israel did not do right, for lack of, of, of a better phrase there. I, I guess that's a nice way to put it. Uh, but, but the people of Israel uh, left us a good example of some things uh, that we should not do. And Paul is using that to, to draw the attention to the Corinthian people to some things that they are doing. Now, the Corinthian people probably would have had some knowledge of these things or else he wouldn't have, have, have mentioned them. He kind of just mentions them in, in passing. He doesn't really elaborate on them. And that would lead me to think that, uh, okay, these people were probably familiar with the Old Testament law. They were probably familiar with the Exodus, that is, the time when God delivered all of his people from Egypt, all of the Israelites out of Egypt, away from, from Pharaoh. And so he's kind of going back to that time, and these would have been stories that they would have been familiar with. And so what he's doing is he's trying to make a parallel, a comparison, an illustration between what went on then, what was going on now for the people of Corinth, and how Jesus tied all that together. How Jesus was being pointed to even in what was, what was going on in the past so that they could see that connection there uh, and try to uh, turn from some of these things that were going on. So this morning we'll be in chapter 10 and we'll just look at the first 13 verses. Maybe, if we make it that far. I printed out my notes this morning, and it was when I, when I got through, went back and got them, I realized it was six pages of notes I'd printed. So we may not get through all this this week. There's a lot of stuff. And the reason why is because this is a really, uh, this, this passage, it, Paul calls back a lot of Old Testament things. And we probably won't cover all of them in detail. I'll try to give you the, the text of where they were so you kind of can see uh, some of the things that Paul was referring to and some that he may have been referring to. And it, it'll probably be helpful to you if you were to go back and read all those, but we'll see. We'll cover what we can today, and if we don't get through, we'll, keep up, we'll take up with it next week. So let's, let's read these verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank from the the same spiritual drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things became examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did, 
don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people fell dead. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as examples. And they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and thank you for these words. And God, help us just to get it. Help us to understand what needs to be understood, dear Lord. Help me to say the things that need to be said. Help me not to ramble on and babble on and just waste time. But God, help us to help me to know just what to say to the people today. Help us, help us to hear what your word has to say. Help us to get it. Some of these things that may be confusing or not make sense, just help us to, to get your word. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us today. And God, let us see Jesus in these words that we read today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Now Paul starts out here at the beginning saying, Now I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now that may seem kind of like some, some odd language that, that, that he was referring to. But what he was saying is this, as he was recalling the people's attention to Israel's past. Now when he talks about the cloud here, he's talking about the cloud in which God was in that guided the people of Israel. There was a, a cloud that appeared to the people by day and a pillar of fire by night and that cloud guided God's people to safety as they were leaving uh, Egypt and God was freeing them from the uh, Egyptians. And that's what Paul is referring to here when he says the cloud. That's the cloud that he's talking about. All these things that he references all happened in Exodus uh, there chapter 12, 13, 14 kind of in that area. All of these events kind of happened around about the same time and he's drawing them back to this specific time to make a comparison for them. And so he says they were all <clears throat> uh, that our fathers were, uh, were all under uh, the cloud, all passed through the sea, speaking of the Red Sea. Uh, most of you may be familiar with that story, but if you're not, when God led the Israelites out of Egypt, uh, the, the Egyptians were chasing them. They came to the Red Sea. They were stuck. There was water in front of them. There were enemies behind them. But lo and behold, the power of God came upon Moses. Moses lifted his staff up in the air. The Red Sea split by the power of the Lord. The ground was dry as it could be. God's people walked across to safety and as soon as they got across here come the Egyptians God made the waters come back in and killed all the Egyptian army that was chasing the people and God's people were finally free and Paul is recalling him to that story that would have been something that they would have heard of they would have known about and then he goes on to say and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting kind of verse that I kind of had to read a few times to wrap my head around her. Now, uh, now, we hear the word baptized, and we think about you know being dunked under the water. That is an immersion where the water completely uh, surrounds us, and we are uh, 
that symbolizes our new life in Christ. That is, that we are washed clean of our sins, that the old man passes away, uh, that we are a new creature in Christ. We come out of that water uh, washed not by the water, but by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is a, a very important and in symbolic part of Christianity and something that all Christians should do. That's something that the Bible commands of us. And so he says here that they, all the people uh, were baptized into Moses, the cloud, and the sea. Now, now, they weren't necessarily dunked under the water, but, but I replaced that word baptized for me when I read it as immersed, and that kind of helps me to understand it a little better. Not he was saying that they were baptized underwater, not that the water took them under and Moses took them under and the cloud took them underwater, but, but, but rather that they were immersed with those things. That is, those things were all around them. That is, they experienced God's power to the fullest. They experienced God's uh, power through Moses delivering them uh, out of their slavery into their freedom. That is, Moses was, was God's chosen redeemer to go in there. God went to Moses at the beginning of the book of Exodus and he says, I'm picking you to go in and deliver my people out of Egypt. The people were enslaved. The people did not have any freedom. They needed a deliverer to come and redeem them from their slavery and bring them to freedom. And therefore, they were baptized into Moses. They were completely immersed. They knew about Moses. He goes on to say, uh, not only Moses, but they were also baptized in the cloud. That is, in that process, when the deliverer came, when Moses came to deliver the people of Israel, they saw God's power firsthand. If you don't believe it, go and read Exodus and go and read the plagues and see what God did. Not only did they experience God's power in that way, but once they were delivered, once they were free from the Egyptians, once the, re the Redeemer, the Deliverer came and delivered them, now it was the very power of God, the Spirit of God in the form of a cloud that was leading and guiding them on the right path to get them where they needed to go. They were completely immersed and surrounded by God's power in the cloud. And not only Moses and not only the cloud but also in the sea. Now the sea would have been, uh, in my mind at least, uh, it, it represents the, the old from the new. When they got to the Red Sea, there were their enemies behind them. They were still not, they still couldn't take a breath, a sigh of relief. They still were uh, being chased by their enemies. Even though the Deliverer had come, even though that they had experienced God's power, they were still being chased by their enemy. And so therefore God parted the sea. They went through and the enemy was destroyed. And one side of the Red Sea and the other side of the Red Sea symbolized two different things. On one side they were still enslaved. But when they passed through, when they came to the other side, they went from slavery to freedom. And Paul was making a comparison here, I believe, to the people of old and to Jesus Christ. He was always trying to point the people toward Jesus Christ. And these events that happened in the book of Exodus, boy, they really seem like a foreshadowing to me at least of what happened in Jesus Christ. That is, Jesus Christ comes to us to be our deliverer because we are enslaved to sin. We are not free to do what we want to. We are burdened down. We're enslaved. And just as God sent Moses to deliver his people then, so God sent Jesus to deliver his people ultimately and for all time.
Just as God guides us with the Holy Spirit, so he guided the people with the cloud. And just as when we experience Jesus Christ and we are delivered, we leave that life of slavery and that baptism, that going through the water, that going through the Red Sea, if we want to call it that, 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 that passing through the water and going in one side and coming out the other, we go in as slaves, but we come out as free men in Jesus Christ. We come out looking at our future. We come out saying, boy, that was the old me behind. That was my past. Look at all that sin that Jesus came and freed me from and the Holy Spirit guides me through and now I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ and we have our whole future ahead of us just as the Israelites did. They were free. They were free to worship God now. But the problem was they didn't worship God. Well, they did for a little while, but it didn't take long until the people of Israel with their past behind them, with their slavery behind them, and their new freedom and deliverance in the Lord, it did not take long for them to begin to do things that they shouldn't have done. And that's what Paul is getting to in the text here. Verse 3, they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from a spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, if we, if we weren't sure that, that Paul was pointing all things to Christ here, we see that spelled out clearly in these verses. He, he's referring to they all ate the same spiritual food and, and they drank the same spiritual water. And, and probably he is referring to the manna in which God provided them to eat and the rock in which was, water was provided for the people to drink as they were uh, wandering around there after God had delivered them. God was taking good care of them. Now, he refers to it as spiritual food, uh, but I think that he's probably referring to the manna and the water from the rock, but it is the Spirit of God who is providing for their needs. It is, it is spiritual food that God was taking care of them and giving uh, them all the things that they needed. Perhaps this would call our attention or the people of the Corinth attention back to Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Jesus Christ himself says, come to me and I will give you water so that you never thirst again. Uh, Jesus Christ is the one who is the bread of life. Jesus Christ is the one who gives us all that we need in a spiritual sense, which is why we partake of communion. We remember those things, that the blood represents uh, Jesus Christ, that the, that the juice we drink or the wine, whatever it is you drink, wherever you may be, represents the blood of Jesus Christ, and the bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. And we eat that in a physical sense, but it's to celebrate something spiritual which God has done in, in our lives through what Jesus Christ has done and us accepting that. And so I believe there's some, there's some connection that Paul is making here between these events of the old, how God provided for the people then, how God provides for the people now. And even though it may have been done in a, in a physical sense for them, it represented something spiritual that came through Jesus Christ. Now, that was a pretty good deal that God did for them to, to make that manna appear and to give them food to eat. Although, guess what? They weren't happy about that. Now, they had some problems because of that. But, but God was, 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 was very graceful to them to, uh, to, to get them out, to deliver them, to take care of them. And Paul is calling the people of Corinth their attention back to these things. And when I say the people of Corinth, I also mean the people of enterprise because he wants to call us 
to, to look back at these things too. And not to forget what everything was pointing toward. It was all pointing toward Jesus Christ. The rock, the one that was sustaining them, the one that was giving them life, it was not just a rock, but it symbolized and pointed toward it, uh, pointed toward, not toward it, that's not a word, pointed toward something better in Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus Christ affirm that when he says, come to me and I will give you the water you need so you'll never thirst again. So Paul is, is kind of going through and he's setting this backdrop for these things that he is about to discuss. Verse 5, but God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Now, this is good stuff right here, because here uh, we see Paul kind of going to where the rubber meets the road. All these things God had done for the people of Israel, but guess what? God was not pleased with them. Why was God not pleased with them? Because they were nothing but a bunch of complainers who did not fully trust in him. That's a, that's a nice way to put it. They, it wasn't long after God delivered them from their slavery. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. And lo and behold, what are the people doing? They're saying, well, I guess this God, I mean, he's not working fast enough. Things aren't going. What's going on? And so they come up with the idea to, to, to take all of their gold jewelry, to melt it down, to form a calf, an idol, which they are going to worship. And they do just that. And Moses comes down the mountain and he is not happy with the whole situation. Just that quick. The people were, were tired of waiting on the Lord because the Lord wasn't acting fast enough and God was not pleased with the people. Why? Because they were disobedient to Him. They were not happy with anything that God had done. They had been delivered from their slavery but oh now they kinda, they're kind of they wandering around and they're not in a beautiful place yet. Oh they, they, they're not in slavery anymore but all they got to eat is manna. They were tired of eating manna. They weren't happy with anything that was going on. They weren't happy with how God had treated them and what God had done in their life. And as a result of their disobedience and not listening and not being faithful to the Lord, many of them were struck down. That generation didn't get to go into the promised land. Remember Joshua and Caleb, they were good. They listened to the Lord. Joshua eventually ended up getting to lead them in, but Moses himself didn't even get to go into the promised land. And Paul is reminding the people here, hey, look, there's some consequences here for the choices that these people made. And Paul is saying we need not make the same choices. We need not to have to experience the same consequences, but we will if we don't change. That's what he tells the people of Corinth here. He goes on to say in verse 6, Now these things became examples for us so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Now, we just talked about some of those evil things that they desired. There is no shortage of, of Scripture in the Old Testament, in particular in Exodus and in Numbers, if you want to go back and read. There are no shortage of examples of the people of Israel desiring evil things. One of the, one of the stories that Paul could have been referencing is hard to know, uh, but, but, but just an example of one of the things that took place, you find this in, in Numbers. I can't think of the chapter right now. It's on one of these papers, but you can ask me later and I'll tell you. And, and what happened was the people were complaining about the manna. They wanted more than manna. So what God said, all right, you want to complain. You're not happy. You want things your way. I'm going to give you what you want. And so what he did was he said he was going to make quail come down, and the quail was going to be three foot deep on the ground, and it was going to stretch a day's walk in every direction around where the people of Israel were. Now think about that for a second. Think about quail three foot deep on the ground 
And a day's walking distance in every direction around the camp of Israel. Now, I, I was curious as to how, how, how much distance that might have been. So I found out that the average human can walk about three miles per hour. Let's say you got up and you started walking at six and you walked till the sun went down at six. You walked 12 hours or three miles an hour. That's 36 miles, give or take a few miles. But let's say around 36 miles of quail three foot deep around the people. The people were complaining, we want more. God said, you want more, I'm going to show you. And then what happened is they began to eat and they got, they got to eat and then they were punished and they died, the ones who were complaining. And in all these stories, most, or most of them I should say, God does these things to the people and then they realize, whoa God, who are we to question you? Kind of like the Job situation when God kind of calls Job out for it. And they kind of realize, oh, okay God, who are we to, to question you? We're going to do what's right. We're not going to do these evil things in your eyes anymore. And we're going to realize that, hey God, we got it pretty good. You're providing for us. You're, you're, you you want to send us to a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and God would do these things to get their attention. Now, we don't ever do that, though, right? We don't ever complain about our situations. We don't ever complain about how God is not doing things the way that he should. We don't ever make idols in our life. And I know we're saying, well, no, I've never melted my jewelry down and made a calf. Well, no, we probably don't do that. If you do, come talk to me after church. But I'm hoping that none of us do that. But look, we do have things that we make as idols in our life. And so it's something that is a constant battle, at least for me. It's a constant battle because there's always things that are competing for my attention that's very easy to put before the Lord. And that's what he's warning us about here. Now, they may have been making gold calves in Corinthian time. I don't know. But look, God's word applies to us today whether we're making a gold calf or not. The point is not to be missed here. The point is that Paul is saying, look, don't give in to these evil things like the people of Israel did. That was just one example with the manna, but trust me, go and read. You'll find plenty of examples in the Old Testament about the people of Israel doing evil in the Lord's sight and as a result experiencing the punishment for that. Don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat, drink, and, and got up to play. Now, he's quoting directly from Exodus here. He's quoting from a story that happened. I believe that these verses were quoted from uh, the time that the gold calf was made, if I'm not mistaken. I think all of these things uh, happened around the same time. But he's quoting directly from the Old Testament there. So we know that he's pointing them back. It's, it's, it's not a guess as to, well, maybe he's pointing them back to some things. In this case, we know exactly what he's pointing them back to, and the people would have known too. And he says, look, they were just kind of nonchalant. They were just kind of going through the motions, doing what they want they just eat drink and be merry all the while not giving god uh, the the respect and uh, that he deserved they were not being obedient to what god commanded and he calls them back to all of these old testament these these times of of exodus uh illustration so that they can understand what's going on verse 8 let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 fell dead. Now, he's calling out sexual immorality here. Why? Well, let's not forget the beginning of 1 Corinthians. He spent several chapters talking about what? Sexual immorality. There were all kinds of sexual things that were going on in the church of Corinth that he addressed. And here he addresses that again. Not only apparently was idolatry a problem that was going on in uh, Corinth, but also 
sexual immorality. And here he points them back to an event that happened back in the Old Testament. Now, as far as what this event was that he is calling them back to, it's hard to say. There are a couple of events that may would fit uh, the bill as to what's going on here. Uh, but one of the stories that, uh, that the Old Testament talks about where 24,000 people were killed, he says 23,000 here, could have been something that throughout the years of translation, it could be the same story. But Whatever the story was, I'll share the story with you that I just mentioned. And it went something like this. As God told his people not to marry the foreign women. Now there was a reason behind that. It was not a, a racial command. It was not anything like that. We don't want to take these verses out of context. But the reason why, the heart of why God gave the command was because when the Israelites were going into their new land, guess what? Other people inhabited it. It wasn't just an empty land that no one lived in. There were other people who lived there. And guess what? Those people did not worship God. They didn't worship God. They worshiped these false gods. They worshiped gods in which they would sacrifice their own children to these gods. They would burn their children alive to their gods. They would do all these crazy things. They would cut themselves. And all of these other people that the Israelites were about to be going into their land, they did not worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. Instead, they worshiped false gods. And God told them these commands as to not intermarrying with these people. Why? Because God said it would make them turn from him and turn to these false gods. God was not discriminating. Rather, he was saying, look, it's not healthy for a follower of mine to be with a follower who is not mine. We see the same idea uh, we've seen it here already in 1 Corinthians as we've been studying where God says that we should not be unequally yoked or we should not be married to an unbeliever. That's good advice. That's the same type of uh, thing that the Lord intended in the, in the command in the Old Testament. is the same thing that Paul's talking about here. The same, same is true for us today. If we are a Christian, we should not desire to be married to a non-Christian. Why? Because they may pull us away from the Lord. Now that was the command that God gave the people. But what happened is this. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. Now the people of Israel had obviously made some boneheaded mistakes. But we can't just say shame on them. They didn't know any better. Because let us not forget King Solomon, son of David, who was the wisest man and the wealthiest man in the world, whom God gave great wisdom to. And what did God tell him? He said, don't go in and marry with these foreign women. Why? Because they will turn you away from me. And Solomon, the wisest man in the world, did just what God said and stayed away from those women. Nope, he did not. You would think that's what he would do, but instead, Solomon did just as the people of Israel did. He intermarried with these foreign women, and guess what happened? You'll never guess. The people did exactly what God said they would do. They began to turn from him, and they began to worship false gods, and they began to do the things that these other people did, these acts that were detestable to the Lord. They committed sexual immorality when they weren't supposed to. And as a result of that, God struck these people down. The story that I'm referencing in, in Numbers says 24,000 people. Here in this passage, Paul says 23. Could be the same event, could be a different. But you can find those comparisons. You can get what's going on here. And Paul knew that the people would know. Paul knew what was going on. The Corinthian people knew what was going on. He knew that they would understand. He knew that they knew what they were doing. And he's saying, look, pay attention here. I've been telling you about sexual immorality. I've been showing you what you've been doing. You remember the Israelites? Remember what happened to them? 
Paul is saying, you better look at your own self. Verse 9, Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. Nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now there was one time where the Israelites were complaining and guess what happened? God sent a bunch of snakes to them and they bit them and guess what? They died. But then God told Moses to do something interesting. He said, I want you to take a, I want you to, to take a stick and I want you to make a stake and I want you to put it up on this, on this stick and I want you to hold it up and all that will look to this stick with this snake stretched out across it will be healed. Now again... We see so many foreshadowings of Jesus Christ throughout the Old Testament, and I believe that that's another one. The, state, the stick that is going to be raised, that those who look to it will be healed, does that not remind us of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is set uh, before the people on the hill as He is nailed to the cross, and all of us who will look to Him and what He gave on the cross, we will be healed. We are no better than the Israelites, because what do we do? We are a bunch of complaining sinners. And the result of that, the result of our sinfulness, will lead to our death, just as it did theirs. God didn't desire to bring them into the wilderness to kill them by a bunch of snakes. God desired to, de to deliver them to a land of milk and honey. But look, they weren't willing to follow and be obedient to the Lord. And as a result, these snakes came, and they had a choice. Wasn't that good that God gave them a choice, that they didn't have to die by being bit by these snakes, but they could look to the one that God sent, their deliverer, Moses, and when he held the stick up, they could look and say, whoa, we're going to look on you. We're sorry, God. Heal us from these things. All they had to do was look up. And that is exactly what we are to do in Jesus Christ. All we have to do is look at our life and see our disobedience and see our sin and see how it is going to kill us if we don't look to Jesus Christ on the cross, the one who God nailed to that cross for us so that we may be forgiven. <coughs> Boy, that's good stuff right there. And Paul is trying to call the people of Corinth to see that illustration. And us too. Paul's saying, you're no better than the people of Israel. And guess what? We're not either. But guess what? Just as God offered them a way to be healed, God offers us a way to be healed. Just as the serpent, that old devil, tries to come in our life and bring sin that's going to kill us, God says, nope, I'm going to send my son and I'm going to raise him up. I'm going to have him nailed to a cross so that you can be forgiven of your sins. So Paul knows what he's doing. All of Scripture knows what it's doing. It's pointing us to Jesus Christ. It was pointing the people to Jesus Christ even in the Old Testament if they didn't realize it. But now that we have the whole Bible, we can see past, present, and future. We can see everything that's going on. We can see, we can see Jesus being pointed to. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying, hey, you know it all now. You've seen Jesus. You've seen the Old Testament. Let me point out what's going on here. Let me point out the past and the present so you can see what's going to happen in the future. Verse 9, Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes, nor should we complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. Now that last part there is kind of tough for me. I don't, I don't know exactly what Paul was, was referring to there, simply because that, that, that being killed by the destroyer is not a phrase that we see a lot in the Old Testament. We do see that phrase one other time, but that phrase is in reference to the tenth plague of Egypt when God killed the firstborn of all the livestock and all the people of the Egyptians. It was the destroyer who came down and killed them. Now, perhaps there were some Israelites that did not, did, did not listen and did not put the blood on their doorposts that they should have, the blood of the lamb, again, 
pointing us toward Jesus Christ. Perhaps there's a reference that some of them did not do that and they too were killed by the destroyer. Perhaps he's referring to a different instance. Or perhaps he's saying, look, the same destroyer who destroyed the Egyptians is the same one who has been the destroyer that has come for these Israelites who have been disobedient. I really don't know what his reference is here, but it would seem to me that the people of Corinth probably would have known what is going on. Again, whether whether we know exactly what the reference was here, we don't want to miss the point. That is, God blessed his people when they came to him. He healed them when they needed to be healed, but he also brought punishment when they refused to do so. And that's what Paul is trying to get across here. Look at the past, see what the punishment was, and, and see that you're doing the same things. So turn from those things that you're doing. In verse 11, Now these things happened to them as examples, and they were written as a warning to us on whom the ends of the ages have come. So he spells it out right there. He tells them straight out, I'm telling you this as an example. They were written to them in that time, that is the time before Christ, but now we're in a new time. We're in the time after Christ. That is, we're in the age of the end to come. We are in a new age. We are waiting on Jesus Christ to come. We are in that that, that final age, and that's what he's saying. There was their age, but here we're in a new age. We're in the age of Christ, so therefore recognize these examples. Recognize that they were pointing to Christ. Recognize that we have seen Christ and what he has done, and let us hold firm to that and seek him, and not seek all these other sinful things that are going on. Verse 12. Now this is good right here. Listen, if you don't listen to anything else that I've said today, if you've been daydreaming, Now's a good time to listen. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Now that's good stuff, y'all. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Now Paul had dealt with the pride of the Corinthians earlier on. We've talked about that in some detail a few weeks ago. But Paul was telling the people here, don't be too proud. Don't think that you're holier than thou. Don't think that you're some super Christian and that you're, that you're untouchable, that you are good, that, you just, that you're just fine. Because Paul says you better look out. He says, I ain't telling you these things. Don't just blow them off and say, I know it. I'm better than all that. I'm not going to be there. Paul's saying, don't do that. Paul says, if you're hearing what I'm saying, you better be listening to what I'm saying. Don't be too proud. Don't think too highly of yourself or lest you will fall. That's the quickest way to fall is to be proud. That's the quickest way for us to, to realize what's going on is to think a little too highly of ourselves. And a lot of times, boy, we get knocked down to earth real quick. And Paul's saying, look, I don't want you to experience that. I don't want your pride to get in the way. I don't want you to have to learn this lesson the hard way, I'm telling you. So you don't have to learn it the hard way like the Israelites. So don't be too proud. But what Paul is saying here is humble yourself before the Lord. Look at those areas in your life that shouldn't be the way they are, the idolatry that shouldn't be there, the sexual immorality that shouldn't be there, or whatever evil sin that shouldn't be there. He's saying humble yourself before the Lord and don't have that same proud and haughty attitude that the Israelites had. That's good advice for us. It's isn't just for the Corinthians. We're not just reading history for the front of it here. We're reading history because guess what? The Israelites were an example to us. The Corinthians were an example to us. God's Word is good. We need to listen to it. We're not just here wasting our time. We're here to, to get the same message that Paul wanted the people to get. And then he goes on to give them some good encouragement here at the end. Because guess what? Paul gets it. Paul knows it's tough. Paul knows that it's not easy. 
He knows that the temptations that the Israelites face and the temptations that the Corinthians face and the temptations that you and I face are not that easy. It's hard. It's hard. Can you imagine being out in the wilderness and all you had to eat for was manna? I'd like to say, boy, I'd have been content because God provided it, but I wouldn't be. Because I ain't content with stuff that God provides me with now, so why would I have been content then? It's, it's good for us to look and try to make parallels in our life and try to see areas where God's Word applies to us because we don't eat manna, so we, we can't apply it uh, you know, in, in literal context. But look, there are things that apply. They're there. You don't have to look far. And Paul knows that it's tough. Paul knows that it's easy for us to want to complain. Paul knows that it's easy for us to want to be tempted to do things that we shouldn't want to do. And so Paul gives them a word of encouragement. He sees where they are, and he doesn't just say, shame on you, turn or burn, I'm gone. No, he tells them a hard message, but he gives them a word of encouragement. He doesn't just say, shame on you, you sinful people, you're going to die and go to hell. He says, no, I'm going to point you to Jesus Christ so that you can have the strength to get through this. Just as everything in the Israelites' uh, message was pointing to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was the rock who was delivering them and leading them, so Jesus Christ is who is going to deliver us and lead us. And so he's giving them a good word of encouragement. And he says in verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. Guess what? You're not alone. Ain't that good news? Sometimes the devil likes to make us think that. He's saying, boy, what you're going through, nobody else has ever been through that. If you tell them what you're going through, what you're struggling with, they are going to judge you, and they're going to say, boy, he or she shouldn't be coming to this church. But guess what? Every temptation that we experience is common to man. That's good news. That means we all experience the same things. That means that we are not alone. That means we get it. So we need to remember that. When we're quick to judge other people, let's not forget there are temptations in our life, maybe the same or maybe different as other people, but they're there. Paul says, look, I get it. What he's saying here is we all have to go through temptations. We all have to go through hard times. None of us are immune from it. Sometimes we like to think that. We like to think, boy, I wish I could be more like he or she. They got it all together. Sometimes people have told me that one time. I've had somebody tell me, they said, I wish I could be more like you. You got it all together. And I said, hold up. If you have somehow got that impression from my life, that is not true. Because I know exactly what Paul's saying. We all struggle with the same things. None of us are immune. We all have bad days. We all say things we shouldn't say and think things we shouldn't think. We're all in this thing together. And what is common for, for you is common for me. Paul says it's common for all people. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful, and He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And that's pretty intense right there. That's pretty intense, right? Because we face some hard temptations. Have you ever been tempted to do something like really bad? I'm talking about like, like you're just, the temptation is just hard. Like you just can't, it just feels like you can't escape it. But Paul says this, he says, look, but with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. So when those temptations come, God gives us a way out. Now we can't stand against those temptations on our own. We are not strong enough. And Paul says, praise the Lord, when we are tempted, God doesn't leave us on our own, but God gives us a way out. Now I can't tell you what that way out is different. 
for different people, different situations. But God knows what our strengths are. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't bring us to that temptation to break us. Instead, He gives us a way out. But sometimes we give in to those temptations. Sometimes we do it. Sometimes we don't take the way out. But what Paul is telling the people here is he says, look, I see what you're tempted to do. I see that you're tempted to worship idols. I see that you're tempted to live in sexual immorality. I see that you're tempted with, you fill in the blank. Whatever you're tempted with, I don't know. But Paul says, I see what you're tempted with. And he says, look, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. He's trying to point them to Jesus Christ. He's trying to point them to the cross. He's trying to point them to saying, look, there is one who will give you the strength, who will give you a way out, who will give you the, 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 everything you need to try to escape and to get through these temptations. And that one is Jesus Christ. That one who can bring healing. That one who can bring deliverance. All of those things we saw in the Old Testament were all pointing us to Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins. Just as Moses was the deliverer of the Israelites, just as God led them in the cloud, just as God led them through the water, so Jesus Christ comes and leads us. He brings us from our slavery to freedom. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can be guided. He brings us from, a new, from an old life of slavery to sin to a new life of freedom to a land flowing with milk and honey. And sometimes when we get to the other side, even in that freedom, those temptations come and we are tempted to do the wrong thing. And sometimes we do the wrong thing just like the Israelites and we don't come out of it unscathed we don't we face the consequences to that but whatever that sin is that's coming that temptation that you're giving into that snake that's come into your life that's biting you that sin that's causing you to die that's just draining you that's just killing your spirit for us, we have a place to look, and it's Jesus Christ. That's where our healing comes from. That's where our deliverance comes from. And that's where our ability to have strength to withstand these temptations comes from. And there may be some of you here today that have never accepted Jesus Christ. You may still be on the other side of the Red Sea. You may still be living in slavery. Your enemy, the sin that's coming at you, is still coming at you hard, and you want to escape from that. Jesus Christ is the escape to accept Him, to follow through in baptism, to come out a new man or a new woman, a new creation in Christ so that you are free, so that you can look to the cross for healing, so that you can look to the cross for forgiveness. That's what Paul's message was to the people, and that's what Paul's message is to us. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these good words. It's a lot, dear Lord. But help us to see the similarities. Help us to see the parallels. Help us to see what you did for your people, to your people, dear Lord. The bad times that come, the deliverance that come, dear Lord, help us not to be like those of Israel who questioned you. God, help us to be those who have faith. God, maybe there are some today that we've never looked to you. Maybe we're, we're experiencing the, the, the hard things that come with sin, the consequences, and maybe we just need to look up to you. We need to look to the cross where healing is. We need to come to Jesus Christ. We need to come to you and say, God, I can't handle it. I can't beat this, but I need you to help me beat it. And God, thank you for giving us that power through Jesus on the cross. So I pray that if there is one in this place today that does not know Jesus, that they would come down, that they would follow through, that God, that they would follow through in baptism, that, that they would show that semblance of being a new person, of that old left behind and the new before them in Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.